Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday. Series through the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we're going to pick up in chapter 6 again. This morning we're we're talking about true riches. Um, as you all have known, and if you've been here with us, we've been listening to Jesus' first public sermon, which he's describing the coming kingdom of God that he has come to initiate. And then now he's been getting a lot more personal and relational with us in the way he's applying his teaching to our everyday lives. And so I'll be reading from verses 19 through 24. You're welcome to stand as we read from God's Word together. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves Break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body should be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body should be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we rely upon your provision, upon your spirit. Lord, as we come to this time of our worship, Lord, we ask that you meet us in your word. Lord, that you would already work in the hearts of of your flock here this morning, Lord, that you would free us from distraction. Indeed, we all come with different things, um, different worries, different anxieties, different health concerns, Lord, different financial worries. Lord, we pray that you center us in your word this morning. Father, that we would experience your presence through the preaching of your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, as always, we look to and reflect upon and ask this very prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. 
So this is actually somewhat of a familiar passage. Um, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. We know and, 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 and have often heard writers of Scripture, more than just Jesus, uh, caution us against materialism. There's a bit more, I think, in this passage than simply guarding us against materialism. And I hope we'll see that. You can follow along. There's an outline in the back of the bulletin. But first, so let's just look, walk through this passage by passage and see first the superficial reading. Jesus gives us a number of examples, but they all point to a central theme that we'll see involve true riches, which just like last week, involves and includes relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So he begins with treasures. That first point is heaven's treasures. What are they made of? And first he guards us against the treasures that are here on earth. Why is that? Because clearly he says, don't lay up your treasures on earth because this is where moth and rust destroy them. Treasures on earth are destroyed. And that's that first fill in the blank there. They're destroyed. They can't, we don't get to keep them. Moth and rust, and, and, and honestly, I didn't quite experience the destruction a moth could do until I had experienced wax moths in a beehive. And they wreak havoc. I've got, I don't know how many combs that, that, that's just been destroyed and not able to be used again. Some of us have experienced rust. You know, it just breaks down. It, it, if it is not maintained, it will deteriorate. And as I looked for examples, of which they're all around us, and, and I began to wonder, well, what look, let's just look at how pervasive, you know, theft is in, in our culture, in our day and age, and how pervasive this just. Uh, moth and rust and the destruction and maintenance costs and the reality is and, and thankfully thankfully we can see that you know for us in America theft seems to be on, on the decline in, in the way of percentage and ratios and, and, and some of these things but what stands true of all these statistics that are so hard to track and it's, it's, it's virtually impossible to put a number on there is one or a couple that I found that seem to be telltale of the way that, that we live as a society here in America. That is the security industry. While, while theft and, and criminal behavior seem to be on a decline, even though we're having to pardon certain crimes or criminals in order to make space in our penitentiaries, the security industry is one that has been growing each year. And while this is still sort of difficult to, to, to really encapsulate and get a, 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 uh, a very concrete figure on, there's one source at least that says the security industry is a $350 billion industry in America, counting you know, your public and your private um, security, national security, uh, the jobs that are in the security, uh, people that have security 
careers, you know, security officers or within schools. $350 billion. That's big, isn't it? So we've got a lot of money that is there for the purpose of protecting earthly treasures. But sometimes we're unsuccessful, aren't we? And we lose our earthly treasures. We lose our investments. We lose our, our crops. We lose our house. It may burn down or we have flooding. Some of us have leaking. My stovepipe needs a little work. I was over at Chad's. Maybe this is a thing among pastors. I don't know. He had a leak. He was fighting. Those poor old pastors on our leaky roofs. What do we do about those treasures that we have trouble hanging on to? Insurance, right? We buy insurance. $350 billion sounds like a lot of money to me. But then looking to the insurance industry, that industry is worth $1.2 trillion. This is, this is a number that is going beyond what we can actually fathom in what you spend. $1.2 trillion, including your life and health and your property and casualty. This is all of our insurances, a vague estimate. That doesn't even touch the fact that insurance industry in America has their hands on $7.3 trillion in assets and investments. We mourn our national debt and the insurance industry alone could pay that seven times. You can't fathom it, I promise you. I'd have a hard time spending a million dollars. I wouldn't know what to do with it. And yet, we see just astronomical dollars that are dedicated to paying for and replacing and safeguarding earthly Treasures. Isn't that amazing? There's more earthly treasures built up than what we can fathom in protecting our earthly treasures. It's absurd, honestly. All of these are prone to moth, rust, corruption, theft. None of this is exempt. And so it's not a good investment whenever we heap up earthly treasures. You're not going to keep it. You can't take it with you when you go. And so this is just a plain reality that Jesus acknowledges whenever he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves can't break in and steal. Now, it's no, it's no coincidence. We don't need to take this out of context with the entire sermon. Jesus has been preaching, and even last week, he, we went through, or well, rather the week before, but leading up to this, we went through the way in which Christ preached, hey, when you give alms, do it in secret, and your Father in heaven will reward you openly. When you pray and in secret, your Father will reward you openly. Whenever you fast and you do this in secret, your Father will reward you openly and immediately lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but those treasures in heaven. It's not detached from our heavenly reward. 
And we already tied that. You'll have to go back and listen to that sermon. We already did the work and tied that reward that came in response to the intentions of our heart before God in secret. And they resulted in a reward that very much included relationship with God. That's, that's our grand open reward. You see, it's not how foolish would it be for Jesus to say, do these things quietly and you'll receive your reward from your Father in heaven where moth and rust destroy. Surely that's not what He was talking about. God doesn't reward a reward where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He rewards where it cannot be corrupted. Where it cannot be taken away. We know that. This is one thing, even our salvation. Because we know that which God grants, no man can take away. No man can put asunder. And so we're reaching, we're looking to this greater, more heavenly reward. And I want to I draw your attention to something. If you look at that second sub-point, because we remember this, this memorable passage there in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So, immediately we realize, we go to uh, the, the spiritual, and we say, yeah, wherever our treasure is, that's what you're yearning after. That's where your heart and your desire is going to be. Your efforts and your motives. That's correct. But let's just keep it simple. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So let me ask you, if, if your heart's going to be with your treasure where your treasure is, and your treasure is on earth where moth and rust destroy it, what comes of your heart? What happens to the one whose treasure is, on, is, is where it can be corrupted? Oh, he'd be destroyed with his treasures, won't he? Amen, Gary. And then what happens whenever our treasure, when the goal, when the focus, when our desire, when what we yearn for is that which is in heaven, Amen. what happens to the heart then? Isn't it preserved? Isn't this man or woman preserved? Amen. You know, the famous missionary Jim Elliot is coined and often quoted saying, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. Already we're seeing there's a one or the other. And I think Christ is coming to ask us, call us to give up this our earthly treasures in exchange for heavenly treasures. There's more to this. He moves right into something. Here he's talking about treasures. Store your treasures in heaven after talking about rewards and then goes to talking about the eyes being the light of the body. This is where, he's, where what I've entitled windows of light 
Let's read again, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. If it be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. This isn't detached. Jesus isn't scatterbrained. He's making a point when he talks about our heart and our focus and our treasure being that which is in heaven. And then he moves right into these windows of light and, and I want to handle this in stages because at first glimpse, he's using an analogy of the blind person. You see, from, for someone that can see and who eye is, whose eye is whole or whose eye is, um, is, is one or, or is single or is healthy or however that was to translate for you, whenever your eye works, you take in shapes, and colors, and depth, and so many things to the point that young children, these are the very first things that we teach them immediately. Do they recognize shapes? Do they recognize colors, depth, faces, lights on and off on the light switch? And so your whole body, is, your whole mind, your thoughts, everything is invested in this perception that you have. It's a whole new world. But for the one who's blind, and except for maybe in the anomaly of, of someone who lost their vision later in life or something, to the one who, who hasn't ever had vision, it's, it's dark. They don't have any of these things until their other senses, they learn to rely on their other senses to make vague representations within darkness. So that, that's sort of that superficial Skimming over the top reading, we have this analogy. And yet Christ does much more than that. It says, if thy eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. And so I think he's moving to this profound opportunity for temptation, which is that second heading. When we look at these windows for light, he's looking to this opportunity for temptation. There's another saying, that is, eyes are the window to the soul. This is something that's been quoted and is somewhat clandestine in its origin. We see Shakespeare say something of this, even Da Vinci say this. Here it is, something like this in the scriptures. And even prior to this, it's interesting because in the first century BC, we have the writings of Cicero, who would have been a, a Roman. Uh, governor in the, say and in his writings include this idea that eyes are the window to the soul. I think it's interesting because it seems Jesus is, seems to be recalling some of this what would have been very popular teaching in, in his area and in his day. This simple realization that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And I think for us, it, it really is undeniable that we, as a people, as a culture, have been affected by all that we take in, all that we see. Amen. 
and that which we've been subjected to. This is why it's important. This is why we have to guard even the commercials or the, the ads that come on in, you know, on the games that our children play on iPads or things that because these small little snippets and these quiet innuendos, well, they do condition the mind. They condition us and they work in such a way that the Bible becomes offensive. That whenever we hear something that's, that's, well, this thing that seems so normal, that's all around you, that's within the games, within the movies, within the commercials, within the schools, with, that's with the people, that, that's acted so friendly at the cash register in the store just down the street, they're in sin, they're hell-bound. That is... <gasps> We've been conditioned to it. We have to somehow qualify what Scripture has made clear. It's, this is undeniable. Amen. What we take in, this is why it's so dangerous. Those sinful text messages or jokes or pornography or movies that we're watching with a quick scene that we shouldn't see. This is why it becomes dangerous for us. It's because there's some basic reality that even a pagan governor can realize the eyes are the window to your very soul. What goes in will affect what is inside to the point that you know, you, you'll be able to see that it will darken the soul of man. And so Jesus doesn't stop with a simple realization that even a pagan can realize but he moves on to this prospect of being ruled by darkness, which is that final sub-point considering these windows of light that we have. Because like a blind man, if our eyes are darkened in, in, in such a way, if we allow our eyes to be darkened by sinful images, then our thoughts will soon be ruled by sinful thoughts. And so, we are dark and we, we lose sight of reality, of, of heavenly realities, and we consume. Jesus says it this way. He says, how great is thy darkness. If your eyes be evil, how great is the darkness. Like the blind man, where there is no shadow cast, no shading, no color, no depth, no, no shape, no light. I've used that, that, that uh, imagery before. You know, we've, we've, we take the kids, we like to go in caves. You've ever been in one and they shut out all the lights and turn off all the cell phones where there is no residual light. And guess what you see? Nothing. Right here. Your mind will literally begin to play tricks on you before you'll actually perceive what is right in front of your face. This is the way Jesus is explaining, is illustrating this idea of being ruled by darkness. So he's talked about our treasure in, in heaven versus the treasure on earth. He's talked about this light 
being filled with light or being filled with darkness. Darkness cannot exist where light exists. And so we've got a, a dichotomy on a number of things. You can't have both. There is one or the other. There is treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. There is being filled with light or being filled with darkness. There is being entirely enlightened or full of evil or, 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 or however he is applying this. There's a dichotomy and he doesn't stop with that because he moves right into talking about two masters, two opposite masters. Let's look at this. Again, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is easy. This is easy, but it's, it's also a stark contrast. We hear love, love, love. Here we hear love and hate. So it's clear we're called to love God and we're called to hate mammon. Mammon is simply those material things, possessions, property, wealth, status. That is the treasures that the world has to offer. It does not say we can love mammon, but we love God more. That's not the way Jesus seems to think of things. So how dare we think that way? And, and, and as simple as this is, I think this is hard for us. But I hope that you see just as you know, last week was more than concerning your practices and your traditions in giving, praying, and fasting. This week is more than what you have and exactly what you do with it. It has everything to do with the way that you orient yourself in relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you loving God? If you love God, you will treasure Him. You will treasure what is in heaven. You'll treasure the reward that only He gives that is not of this earth. You will not heap up. It will not concern you near as much. Your 401ks or your properties or your investments or your truck or your dog or your house. So that whenever everything else fails you, we're not relying on insurance. We're relying on God. Whenever my investments fail, whenever my job fails, whenever my friendships fail, whenever my family fails me, my reward is that which is in heaven. Amen. And I am blessed with greater relationships. I am blessed with greater, greater blessing where moth and rust cannot touch it. And it's not just simply there's an absence of moth and rust. It's that you put my reward in heaven right here and turn loose a bunch of moth and oxidizers. They won't touch this blessing because it's spiritual blessing. It's heavenly blessing. Amen. 
He's going to look. Jesus is not detached as he's talked about heavenly reward and as it applies to our spiritual disciplines. And then now he goes into all of our investments and he goes into that which we're spending our time, that which we're looking upon and investing our efforts, what's covering our eyes and affecting our soul. And even that, who are you serving? And he's applying God is great. Jesus is graciously applying this directly to every facet of our lives. And he's going to move right into the way in which whenever you step under the right master, the way in which he makes provision for us. You see, when you're under the right master, you don't have to worry about those things and those blessings and those food and those investments and those provisions of God. Because He's a good master. Understand, this isn't when we talk about serving the right master, it's not serving the taskmaster. It's saying loving the master. You will love Him. And if serving God has become something that is begrudging to you, that says, oh, I can't do this. I'm exhausted with trying to live the holy life. Brother, sister, you haven't come under the right master. His yoke is light. And we love this. We yearn this. Our service becomes a joy to us. When we love God, He meets our needs when we love mammon, Jesus says that we despise God's provision. We need to accept even affliction. I referenced this morning Psalm 119.71 in Sunday school, but that's where the psalmist says that it was good for me that I was afflicted that I would learn the statutes of God. We should accept even, even failure of our possessions, of any earthly treasures. And it is not sinful. I'm not saying it's sinful for you to have the blessing that God has blessed you with. I'm saying it's sinful for you to covet that blessing as if God isn't the one who gave it to you. Remember, this is everywhere in Scripture. We remember the rich young ruler. The problem wasn't that he had great possessions. The problem was that he went away sorrowful when called to give those up. We read of the one, the parable of the man who sold all that he had to purchase the field for that which was of greater value. And I'm begging you, brother or sister, give it up. Give everything up. Give up all your worries. Give up all your anxieties. Give up all your investments. Give up whatever finances that you think are more important than giving to God and fulfilling His mission. Give it all up and trust God. Give it up for that which is worth greater value. That which cannot be taken away. That which cannot be corrupted. That which cannot be stolen or destroyed. Trust God. And we're going to come and find out. Don't forget, we've already been through this. Let me remind you, when Jesus started preaching, He said, I have fulfilled it. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 17. 
And He calls us into relationship. Through His fulfillment, He calls us into relationship in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 45, that you may be children of God. He's explaining that to us. This is a relationship, and a big part of even my own testimony is taking a God who's up here and and bringing Him down where I can have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Do you have that relationship? Who, Who is... Your master. You only have one. Even Bob Dylan knows that, right? right. Got to serve somebody. And so who's your master this morning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, that you are a master who we can love. Father, that we are no longer, if we are in Christ, we are no longer under the master who had bound us in chains of sin, who had darkened our soul with the pride of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Father, we are not in bondage with these lusts of the world that are passing away, as John says. But Father, we come under a new master. And Father, we look to you through your son, Jesus Christ, for salvation, but for lordship. That we have a Lord who provides, who meets our needs, who pays our penalties, who gives us a new heart, who empowers us for good works that actually please you, Father. We pray that we would be a church, that we would be a Christian that pleases the master that we love. Father, we pray that you work through your word this morning. Father, that we would experience new life in this way. That we would experience increased discipleship that we would experience these relationships that are not corrupted. Father, that we would experience your mission and live this out in the way you've equipped us. Lord, that we would live the truths that we heard this morning and that we would take these to someone else, one other person this week. Lord, we look to you as our Lord, our Master, our King our gracious and loving Savior. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday.